When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Australian Open has come and gone, but the tennis podcast continues. We are into our weekly shows now, building up to the French Open, Wimbledon, where we'll be daily again. I'm David Law. Catherine Whitaker is here. How are you, Catherine? B- b- bright as a button. Bright as a button, as we record just at the end of the, uh, the Australian Open campaign. And uh, we're here with our weekly shows. Matt's here. Hello, Matt. Hello formerly known as Gradmat, and we are with you for one of our listener questions specials here on the Tennis Podcast, which is kick-started by you guys, and specifically in this particular edition by Jim Boyle, who is one of our guest editors. So what he's done is he's sent in some of his questions, he's chosen some of the very best of yours that you've posted at Tennis Podcast on Twitter and at the tennis podcast on instagram and we're on facebook as well he's basically picked out the best ones you've sent in and we're going to answer them now all right so matt's got the questions fire away matt okay so the first one is after two disappointing slams under his charge for zverev at what point does ivan lendl throw the towel in and will he see (laughs) out 2019 will he throw the towel in matt's like dimbleby yeah do you think he'll throw the towel in or do you think? Do you think? I think he probably threw the towel at him in Australia. <laughs> could, could, uh, well, well, we 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 sat and watched that uh, fourth round defeat to Milos Raonic together, or certainly most of it together. Yes. We watched the most horrifying parts of it uh, together from his very perspective. And I I asked you exactly that because <clears throat> I think I, I think. It, it it it's so I know coaches and players talk a lot about you know wafty stuff about it's not a, it's not about results it's about the process and and process and progress and all of that but with Zverev it very specifically is about the results isn't it um, and if the results aren't coming and there isn't even any improvement in the results. I don't know, it's a, it's the balance between frustration and pride, isn't there? He'll want to stick with him long enough that that his pride isn't damaged by having failed. Um, but equally, he won't just be wanting to to throw, to, to 
what's the sort of coaching equivalent of throwing good money after bad if you know what I yeah. mean sort of yeah. just keep thinking if I keep keep staying and keep doing what I'm doing it's bound to pay off immediately which is what we're all guilty of thinking with Zverev isn't it just it's, it's bound to happen it'll eventually come, yeah. it'll, it'll come I do feel that Lendl will want to give it enough time so that he can feel as though he's given it a proper chance and that he has been heard and hopefully from his vantage point made a difference that makes the difference um that having been said i remember us talking about this briefly after the u.s open and we were we were sort of taken aback by his defeat there and and still compared how he made an immediate impact on on andy murray remember when we had goran Ivanovic on the podcast during the the australian open he was questioning the chemistry and talking about how andy murray and lendl were just a perfect fit and he's not convinced that this one necessarily will be I would be surprised if they were to split before the end of the year. I, I certainly think we will see another three slams out of that partnership um, because I think that, that there's a meaningful amount of time again now to debrief after the Australian Open and then it gets into the other slams. But I'm far from convinced. Yeah, well, there's no reason to be convinced so far because it's results-based. I'd love to be a fly on the wall and to see their dynamic. I think it probably all depends on something which is unknown to us, which is how much he's being heard, how much is Verev listening. You know, it's what you know. Lendl might be saying all the right things as Verev's not listening, or it could be other things. I don't know, but if he feels he's being heard and the attitudes right etc I suspect he will hang in longer than than if he just feels that you know um, Agassi said that about Djokovic didn't he at the start of the tournament I had I did that interview with him he said Djokovic was convinced that I could bring him something and, and I didn't really think I could and in the end I, you know we sort of weren't hearing one another and, and what's the point in that so yeah I, I if you haven't listened already to Goran Ivanovic's thoughts, Jim, in uh, one of our Australian Open Daily pods, I would point you to that because he was pretty, um, pretty punchy yeah. on that subject and knows knows more about coaching player dynamics than than we do. Yes, I do recall that one or two of Andy Murray's losses, including Slam final losses, I remember the one here in or the Australian Open in 2013. He was very quick. To, to say to Andy Murray look it happens don't worry about it um, you know there was no massive debrief there's no no inquest as such it was just an acceptance that Djokovic had played well on that day or whichever final it was don't feel like you'll be able to look Zverev in the eye and, and say it's okay because it isn't okay what, what he put up that day and Zverev assuming he's getting that kind of pep talk needs to take that on the chin and he needs to learn because it keeps happening it keeps happening and it's if he wants to if he wants to achieve what he believes he's capable of and what most of us have talked about him being capable of at one time or another you can't be losing 616176 to Milos Raonic in that manner much as a good player as he is you to two six one sets it's, it's not enough it's not acceptable um so i think they'll get through the end of the year matt um but we'll wait and see we'll wait and see thereafter okay well you mentioned milos raonic and jim's next question is about him uh, after in, after an encouraging run at the australian open is milos raonic now one of the favorites for wimbledon this year in your opinion no 
he he's in the bunch behind the absolute favourite for Wimbledon is Novak Djokovic uh, Roger Federer is with Rafa Nadal probably next I would say I can't really think of you have to put Federer ahead of Nadal don't you on their recent what? recent records R- there R- Roger Federer's five set loss to Kevin Anderson in the last one and Rafa Nadal reaching the semi-finals and losing 10-8 in the fifth so no I don't I don't have to based on recent history and the form that Roger Federer has been in recently no I don't think I do yeah but there's there's what five months until Wimbledon so we have to look at it in a sort of macro way don't we I don't (laughs) I don't I don't think I, I don't think he is ahead of Nadal we digress from the scintillating subject of Milos Raonic um, and, and his I, prospects. I would put at this stage, and we are five months out. Yeah, five months out. Djokovic is the favourite. Federer is the second favourite, and then Nadal is just behind that. Um, and then there's a crop, and I probably would put him as one of the leaders of that crop, provided he's fit and healthy, yeah. which is absolutely no way a, a given. For Milos Raonic, I mean, he's had more injuries than hot dinners, and uh, you know there are there there are just bodies that hold together and bodies that don't. You know, I know there are certain things that you can that are within your control to to uh, to limit all of that, but some people are just gifted in that sense, and unfortunately, he's not, is he, Milos Raonic? Bless him, but. Uh, but yeah, I'd put him as one of the leading, the leaders of the chasing pack. That, that's why it was quite, I, I still find it quite curious that, that Raonic threw in that performance against Luca Pui, who yep. was very good. But Goran seemed to be saying that he'd got no strength left in his legs, he, as, as though maybe he'd run out of gas, really. Uh, maybe a little bit of the way Nadal talked about himself not having had a lot of matches it was a bit bit of a curious one that yeah he needs a he needs a a foolish season between now and Wimbledon I think to get tour hardened again I mean when was the last time Raonic was playing week in week out and Mm. and you know playing with that consistency broken down a lot hasn't he yeah so so a whole lot of ifs but he I mean if those ifs come to fruition, what would odds be on him? I know we're bad at odds because we're yeah <laughs> we're not. I'd probably we're, say we're not betters, but probably be about sixteen to one or something like that. Yeah. You know, he's still well. Those are those are decent odds. You might you might get you might even get twenty or something like that. Yeah. Because I don't think people are really talking about him at the moment. It's just that we know, having seen a lot of him, and we know he reached the final, and we would know. He, would he be ahead of Kevin Anderson? Oh, he, he might not in, in sort of bookies odds. Maybe not because Anderson's a more recent Wimbledon finalist. No, but, it, but it, I, th- for you. I think I would put him ahead of him. Yeah, as long as he's fully fit. I think he's the better grass court player overall of the two. I think, yeah, I think I think Raonic would be probably about fifth favourite or something like mm-hmm. that if he was fully fit. You're certainly putting him ahead of like Zverev. Yeah, I think stage, I would. You yeah. know. Yeah, on um, grass I would, yes. Yeah. I almost said the D word then, but let's move on. What about Sitsabas? Well... He's going to be interesting to follow on grass, yeah. isn't he? 
Moving on. Moving on. Funny games. The next one is of the two British up and coming stars, Katie Bolter and Katie Swan, who do you think has the most potential? I think up and coming players rather than stars Mm. would be how I'd put it. But I know what you mean. Um, I think Katie Swan, but. I think David's seen more of both of them than I have. Having said that, Casey Bolter showed me something at the Australian Open that I hadn't seen before from her. I think there is a ceiling. I think her movement isn't that great and can be exposed. But then she's she's tall, isn't she? So there'll always be a... a, I think it can be improved a bit if she puts the work in. Um, But she, she... She's shown me something that gives me pause for thought on that, but um, I like the attitude of Katie Swan a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, the most tennis I saw from her was at Wimbledon last year, where she won through that first round match. I can't off the top of my head remember who against, but I was very impressed with her, and she's got a real feistiness about her on the court. Yeah, I don't feel like I've seen enough of Katie Swan as a senior. I watched her as a junior and she was she impressed me there. I liked her. She's got a great fighting spirit, good mover. She has had injuries since then. And it's, how does that game translate to the senior game? Um, I'd, prob- I'd probably go with Bolter based on what she did in the Australian Open. She, I, I noticed as also she, she qualified in St. Petersburg straight afterwards and beat Bernarda Perra, who's a good player. Um, who's beaten Conta before? You know, it's. I always feel that's important. Can you have a result yeah. and then you back it up like that? And she certainly showed more at the Australian Open. I mean, she beat a Katarina Makarova. That's a good win. Um, she showed a lot more than than I would have expected. I, I, I was wrong about certainly in the short term about her potential. I didn't think she was as good as that. And mm. and it was yeah, it was impressive. What, what she did at the Australian Open she's obviously just got proper power natural power that help, just helps you translate into the senior game um, so I'd probably go for her but I, do, I don't feel like I know enough about Swan's game yet to have really formed a proper opinion it's, it is a worry isn't it when when players are so injury thwarted so young yeah, um, you yeah, know my my last memory of Katie Swan at the US Open was she was there with her foot in a boot wasn't she at the um, International Tennis Writers uh, event that they hold there and of course she she wasn't she stretched off from from quali- her qualifying match here at the Australian Open yeah. this year. Um, her, it wasn't serious. Her back went but into still, spasm, but yeah. it was it was dramatic, but not you don't not expe- serious. You don't expect. Um, and it, make, it things, makes me yeah. think of. I mean, there are plenty of examples, but Tanasi Kokonakis, for example, yeah. the world at his feet, loads of potential, and sort of one injury led to another injury, and they they seem to be seems to be in a sort of chain reaction of injury, and it. It can, for reasons I can't quite explain, go that way. So that is a concern, and I hope, I hope that that's not the case for her, and she can have a good run at it. Same here. Okay, Jim's next one, and the final one from Jim is: Do you think the Davis Cup finals in Madrid this year will be well attended, or could spectator apathy force a rethink? I think there will be great atmospheres at times. Uh, I think when Spain play, it will be fantastic. Uh, it sounds as though Nadal wants to play. Um, I think there will be some 
nations that bring great followings uh, who, who maybe maybe it's quite convenient for and I guess a lot of depend on how they're promoted and all those sort of things I think there will be fantastic moments during the Davis Cup but I wouldn't expect it to be blanket full houses uh, I, I just I would be surprised if that were the case I hope it is but I'd be surprised yeah I mean I think I've said it before on, on the pod that, um, that that's one of the, the, the venue is one of my biggest worries for the uh, for the reinvented uh, Davis Cup because I, I've experienced at that venue and it, it that the the Madrid Masters the men's and women's combined event has so much going for it it's brilliant um, but the venue just somehow isn't quite right even when it's at capacity it kind of feels a bit empty yeah it it. Um, it's a very unforgiving arena, um, which is kind of the absolute opposite of what you want for Davis Cup. I agree with David. I think that it will they will get good crowds in at times, and I'm sh- very sure that they're aware of this issue. They're not going into this blind about the M- Madrid, uh, the Kaya Magica as a venue, and they'll do everything they can to try and uh, get bums on seats and create, create atmosphere, you know, the... Um, I mean, they're all good at that, aren't they? The um, the fan academy and all yeah. of that. I'm sure they'll do everything they can to 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 plug the potential gaps in atmosphere. But I don't think it's the ideal venue from that perspective, and it does worry me a little. But I hope I hope to be proven wrong. Yeah. Um, I hope to be proven wrong. But it's not <laughs> it's not one of the world's more beautiful tennis arenas the Kaya no, Magica it's 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 called the magic box it's it's like a big metal box really um, and uh, yeah you get you you can it's get a good atmosphere terminal but feel about yeah, it yeah I, I know what you mean okay so Jim's chosen some from social media now the first one comes from Bello Pegap hello Bello who says, with Serena Williams winning 17 Grand Slams in the last 10 years, she's followed by Kleisters and Kerber winning three in that time. That's the, that, that's the next most Amazing in that, that time. So if Serena, well, when Serena retires, who do you think's best place to win multiple, multiple, multiple slams? For example, the figure plucked here is 10. Well, Naomi Osaka, without question. She's already on two. Um, and um, as we said in our podcast after she won the title here beating Kvitova in the final some, for me something changed that night and suddenly she's the, she's the baseline she's the benchmark for, for tennis on the women's side and, and slams are hers to lose now that doesn't mean she'll win them all ahead of Sabalenka yeah that can change again Sabalenka She's 20, isn't she? She can still improve, but so can Osaka. Currently, Naomi Osaka is the benchmark and slams are hers to lose. I, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen her play on clay, and I'm not sure. I, certainly, I don't think I ever have in the flesh. So, you know, slight caveat to that. I don't know. I don't quite know how to feel about, you know, whether she'll be the favourite going into the French, but that for me is the sort of the default state of play in the women's game at the moment yeah yeah look I can't I can't argue as much as I'd like to uh, Osaka has shown again 
another level at this Australian Open. Not only in her mentality, because she showed real mental strength now in two straight slams, in all sorts of difficult situations, but her game is so adaptive as well. It, it, not only does she have this power, she understands the game. She understands what to do, almost instinctively, against different types of players. The, the, the range of players she played against at the Australian Open with... Um, Shea Suey and then uh, Anastasia Sevastova and then uh, Petra Kvitova and Karolina Pliskova you could not get four more different players even the two power players one's a lefty one's a righty I mean it's so difficult to adapt your style or your tactics depending on the, on those particular opponents and she did it she found ways and and she's she's got it all and the speed with which she learns, mm. you know, talk, saying there, you know, I don't know what she's like on clay. Well, if it turns out she's not brilliant on clay now, she probably will be very, very soon. I, I think the biggest barrier really to, to her winning relentlessly is just whether she really wants to be always in the spotlight and always in the kind of that grind of, of just trying to churn these results out I don't know what sort of person she's going to be in the long run in that regard you know some people just have this absolute insatiable desire to win and to to compete at all times Um, Rafael Nadal being an example of that some of these people they can't while they're able to they can't live without doing that really they they can't imagine an environment where they don't want to do that um, Serena Williams, I think, although she's got other interests, etc., and she's got look, she's still been at, playing the sport for twenty years, and she just loves it. And I think Naomi Osaka absolutely loves playing tennis, uh, and I think she likes winning. But I don't, I don't know whether it will matter to her to, enough to to keep having. I mean, you, you have to really put yourself through the ringer all the time, don't you, to keep coming to these slams, having to go through these pre-event press conferences, talk about your chances, and then just navigate your way through the draw. It is pretty relentless. Yeah. It's an unknown, isn't it? It's, a, it's an unknown. All I can go on, which is what I've seen of her so far, which is that she somehow make, manages to make all of that not remotely seem like a grind. She approaches every yeah, day true. with this sort of serendipitous attitude to it all and 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 yet she seems to have this miraculous combination of steel and grit and desire i think she does have an insatiable appetite for winning actually i think there is i think there are i mean there are fangs as mary carillo would put it but equally she she currently she doesn't see it all as a grind um, but as you say, she's she's only twenty one. So. Just wonder whether she might tire of it, you know. Uh, but look, I hope not because she's such good news for the sport. Fantastic news. Okay, Keith Horton says I'd love to hear more about what goes into negotiations for appearance fees at the sort of two fifty five hundred level. Um, for example, what happens if there's an injury, and how does it affect prize money for other players? Well, I think really what what happens depends on the event. Uh, they have their own individual strategies and so forth, and and some some events won't 
won't pay any money to any players because, well, maybe they haven't got a budget, so they'll they'll just um, see who enters their tournament, or they might. You know, I don't. I don't think there are any two fifties and five hundreds that don't pay any appearance fees. Mm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I think there are some that probably don't, um, but lots do. Lots do. No question about it. Um, and and yeah, it's it. It's like any negotiation, really. I think it's just business, and depending on what's in the contract will depend on what they what they do. Uh, the I don't think the prize money is re- relevant to it. It's just a sort of yeah. It's just a kind of an offer um, that they agree on in order for them to enter enter a tournament uh, at I, that I, level. I I, um, I sympathise with Keith asking the question because I think it's something that ought to be a bit more transparent really or certainly more talked about I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it what what feels uncomfortable about it is the fact that it's it's opaque and sort of not quite done on the sly but certainly um certainly you know no one's ever asked about it in press or anything other it's one of these sort of acknowledged everyone knows it happens but nobody acknowledges it so um I mean my it, to my knowledge, and my knowledge is far from perfect of it, because, on it because it is, you know, it's 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 really only only um, talked about in detail in the inner circles. But is that players pretty much have a a fee? This is what I this is my fee for playing an event. Yes, you know there'll be certain. Certain events that are swimming in money, where you might, you know, market forces, as they say, where you might uplift your fee a little bit. But basically, this is what I cost to play a non-mandatory event. Um, and it's quite funny, you know, when when players burst onto the scene, and you know that one one year they'll be begging for a world card into qualies, <laughs> and the next year they'll be demanding, you know, some stratospheric figure to, to even show their face and, and lose in the first round. Um, so that's always an amusing process to go through. And, and, and there, I think there are instances of, of play. It's not entirely mercenary and cruel-hearted, you know, players that that feel a loyalty to a tournament or play uh, tournaments that have given them a wild card in the past and they just want to play there or want to repay some kind of uh, faith that's been shown in them. It's the, the, There are examples of not entirely mercenary behaviour about it and yet it is all quite a... Quite a it's a business. It, it is. It is what, a, it what, is one big, memory big I, business. I do have uh, probably 20 years ago now. I remember one player uh, at a tournament... Um, with a particularly vocal um, and fairly strong-minded tournament director and the player lost first round and didn't play well uh, and came off the court and then basically left. Um, and the, uh, the to- tournament director told the journalist straight afterwards, I'm not going to pay him now after that performance. <laughs> and the player just said, no, no, he has to pay. Um, and this, uh, yes, this became quite a quite a standoff. Um, so you know, you don't hear that sort of thing very often. But yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to to know to give. I think Catherine's given a good s- s- overview of it all, um, but it does vary from event to event. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Okay, next one from Peter, who says with a lot of passion, when will the let serve finally be abolished? It ruins so many great serves and wastes so much time. I think Peter should be on the Whitaker family WhatsApp group because we wasted about a day and a half fervently debating this the other day as if none of, none of us have anything better to do with our lives. What were the, uh, what were the sides being taken? Well, it was my brother approaching it in a, in a very um, sort of statistically philosophical way. <laughs> um, uh, just sort of saying, yeah, you know, it doesn't getting rid of the getting rid of the the, the that cord on serve doesn't. What what does that add to tennis at all? What I mean, what why is why is everybody? I'm giving an absolutely awful account of his argument. I feel like I should scroll back through the various the various tennis related spats we've had <laughs> to find the the chain of the group. Basically, I think. It is a really weird, anomalous thing in tennis. And if you got rid of it, everyone would go, oh, yeah, that, that was silly. Doesn't it and just, suddenly it would seem normal that we it don't have it. just bring more luck into the sport? You know. But, but do we want more luck in the sport? I don't know. Do we? Oh, God, it's like the family WhatsApp chat all over again, but in real life. Yeah. Do we want... Yes, this is, this is where the chat went. You're reminding me now. I'm having horrible flashbacks. Do we want more luck in the sport? I don't know, do we? Matt? 
Dimbleby? Well, my experience of the no-let rule in operation was in the juniors at Australian Open. And it's it's actually quite funny when there's a let serve and it sort of drops rather than properly pings off the tape and it almost becomes like a drop shot serve and suddenly the players have to scamper forward and try and get it and it's it's so rare that it does happen that on the occasion that it does it's quite fun and the only thing would be if it happens on a match point or something but that's just because we're not used to it that's happening, the thing, right? isn't it? I, mean, well, I think we'd quickly adjust. We, 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 we will have that period of, uh, we had that chap who just didn't even, who just completely forgot that it was in action and, you know, uh, suddenly the match was over and he didn't realise. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think you could absolutely get rid of it now. I do. I, I might be um, overestimating Peter's, Pete, Peter? Peter's level of interest in this, but I will read you out my brother's message to the family WhatsApp group. Go on. To to give the other side of the argument, given that we're all in agreement here. He says, unfinished... This was apropos nothing, by the way. The previous thing sent on this chat was a picture of me with a puppy. So, apropos nothing... Up pups, my brother. Unfinished thought on the serve let cord rule. The argument we don't have let cords during rallies, so why on serve, doesn't hold water. If we could somehow eliminate net cords in rallies, we would. But we can't, because it would mean too many replays. But we can on serve, so we do, and solve as much of the problem as we are practically able to. Getting rid of them is unsolving this problem in in service of fixing another non-existent problem. Just a little insight into the uh, inner workings <laughs> of family WhatsApp group. Um, <laughs> I said, disagree with the premise that we would eliminate net cords during rallies if we could. And my dad chipped in. I agree with that disagreement. It didn't end there, folks. But, um, <laughs> but uh, My head hurts. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, honestly. Oh, my God. I'm still scrolling. Wow. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but there you go. Do you want another question? Can we? Is there a way to like? join the whatsapp group without taking part <laughs> you, and just watching you don't it. want that you don't want that so, trust me <laughs> rubbernecking i think it ended with i'm not arguing it ended with my mum saying i'm not arguing anything with math anymore he's become the whitaker whitaker proverbial answering machine in that he has all the answers probably yeah there we go and uh, actually that wasn't the end of it it continued okay. quite a lot from there <laughs> Insight. My, it ended with my dad saying, I think the chances of the tennis authorities, that's an in inverted commas, either understanding or accepting your argument are pretty small. See, for example, podcast comments on final set tiebreaker quality between men and women. Great. Lack of, lack of appreciation of nuance. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> brother, father, if mother, any- Whitaker. If anyone is still it. listening, Matt, yeah. okay. let's do the next question. Crack on. We've got time for a couple more. Okay. Uh, Nicholas on Facebook says, why is there a movement to remove Chris Commode? Is it because some players still want to split into a players' union and a tournament's union? And the only way to bring about this is radical change. The, the main reason that they want rid of Chris Commode is because uh, of players wanting as much money as they can possibly get and as much say over everything as they can possibly get. And yes, I think ultimately uh, those that are dissenting are in favour of a sort of players' union or at least a bigger say over all 
over what goes on generally. They want a bigger slice of the Grand Slam pie and they talk about how much money the Grand Slams are earning and their percentage of it is not that high, relatively speaking. Um, the issue for the role of someone like Chris Commode is that he is running an organisation which is 50% owned by tournaments and 50% owned by players, both of whom inevitably don't have the same goals and disagree and clash and he is the deciding vote between the two so it's frankly a pretty impossible job for the most part to, to because you to keep both sides happy certainly and yet you've got to try and find a way to just keep going along together and personally I think he's, I mean, I've seen a few CEOs of the ATP, Mark Miles, Etienne de Villiers, um, the late Brad Druitt for a short while. Um, I can't remember the other chap's name, Adam something. Uh, anyway, not that memorable. Um, but Chris Commode has done it for a number of years now, and he, I think, is, is kind of perfect for it, really. He's, he, he's, he's been there five years. He's, he's brought a new title sponsor into the tour finals after Barclays left Nito came in um, he's he's I mean, you look at the prize money at the slams the way it's risen the, you know these it's, it's they're getting 30 35,000 pounds losing in the first round now you know your winners are getting two two million plus um, I know maybe it's not the biggest slice of the the overall pie I don't know but you, how much do you want keep it moving forward do you really need any more instability? You're getting your ATP Cup. I mean, I, just, I don't see what I don't see what the problem is. I think all of the uh, m- movements against Miss Chris Commode, Miss Commode, uh, Chris Commode, are, are, are fundamentally misguided. I think what they are is movements against the structure of the ATP. Yeah. Uh, as a governing body, which does have a conflict of interest at its heart. But I, I think it's a complete misdirection to think that that's anything to do with Chris Commode as an individual because he's just walking the tightrope that is the defining feature of that job because yes. of the way the organisation is structured. So I, I, Good I, luck finding somebody else who would do it better. Yeah. Exactly. Unless you want to rip the thing up and start again, yeah. You're going Which to you know, there's a decent argument for that. There is it an is, argument it for is it. It is a bizarrely structured organisation, as are many governing bodies in tennis. But the, to, to talk about it as something sort of specific or personal about the way Chris Commode goes about that job, um, I find I find also, bizarre because because if he were more player centric, all the tournaments would be talking about, hey, let's get rid of Chris Commode and have a tournament team instead. He's, all, he's always been regarded as as somebody who the players get on with over years at the age at, at, at Queens when he was tournament director. That was that was one of the big things that you know was it was in his favour. All the players loved him because um, yep. because he, he, he talked to them and he knew how to talk to them and he knew how to deal with them, etc. Um, in terms of starting again I just yeah it's a nice idea but again who's really going to sort all that out in, in a, at a time when surely stability would be better yeah we can't even get rid of the let cord on serve no. so I doubt anyone's tearing up the whole yeah the whole administrative structure of, of tennis right one more question then Matt what we got 
Make it a good one. From Grant, he says, is this the best time you can remember to have an interest in the women's game? He says, it's so hotly contested, there's nothing to choose between a lot of players, and can you remember a time when you've seen it as close as this between so many players? My answer would be absolutely not the best time. Uh, I think it is one of many very good times I, I am really enjoying what's going on at the moment the emergence of Naomi Osaka the fact that Serena Williams is still there the fact that Venus Williams is still there the fact that you've got Rina Sabalenka there are, um, Caroline Wozniacki and Simona Halep breaking their ducks and becoming world number one there's, there's loads of good storylines out there but goodness me over the years you think back to when Kleisters and Enan were, were, were there and Jennifer Capriati and Steffi Graf before that and then go back further Martina Navratilova and Chris Evers there's been so many good years and decades and generations so much as I'm, I'm delighted you're enjoying it Grant and I, I get why, why you, um, the, the variety of winners at the moment is some people might not like it some people love it it, I find it very exciting. I, I think there's loads of good players to watch, lots to get your teeth into, but do I think it's the best year ever? No, I don't. I think that's all really well said. I mean, my memory doesn't go back as far as yours, and I, I, it's a great... That's a dig, <laughs> isn't it? No, I was just, it's a great regret. that I, like, I wish I'd experienced Everett Novatilova. I really wish that. Mm. Um, but, I mean... Yeah, no, no point dwelling on that. Um, and yeah, I think Enan, Cle- Enan Kleisters, you know, yeah, all the ones you mentioned, brilliant. Martina Hingis won Wimbledon when she yeah. was 15. Yeah. 15. And played the game differently too, you know. It's great. Monica Sellers, I mean, yeah, you don't need us to, or well, maybe you do, but um, look, I, I und- exactly as David said, I'm just going to repeat it, but. T- tennis, women's tennis, is in a brilliant spot at the moment. I really think that the Serena story continues to be exceptional, and if and when she gets to 24 or more, or, and becomes, um, you know, well, she won't be the first woman to win a Grand Slam after after coming back from pregnancy. But for me, it's not just about her coming back from pregnancy; it's about her coming back from nearly dying and all the rest of it so if and when she does that it will be one of the greatest sporting stories of all time you've got Osaka that we just can't get enough of waxing lyrical about it's all absolutely brilliant but um, it has been brilliant at many points in the past you've you know the the last 20 years we have had I mean Serena and Venus Williams as as a that I mean they are one of the greatest sporting stories ever their success yeah um you know the their father the the whole genesis of of all of it every aspect of it is one of the greatest sporting stories ever and uh yeah women's tennis has been doing just fine for a long time but hey if more people are, are paying attention to how great it is that is brilliant i say put aside grant a weekend and just go on YouTube go on YouTube and Stefano Sitsipas taught us all how to use YouTube yeah the Australian Open it's good isn't it <laughs> yeah so go and use that go and have a great big helping so that is it that's thanks, it thanks to Jim yeah solved we're gonna, tennis we have yeah in this 45 minute show we, we're going to have other 
uh, listener question specials here on the Tennis Podcast with guest editors uh, who have backed us to the hilt on Kickstarter and helped keep this show going because you know without the Kickstarter we really w- we wouldn't have the budget to be able to uh, get Matt to work with us and to be able to put as much time into this as we do and we hope you're enjoying it you seem to be we're, we're, we're thrilled that you do and we love bringing these to you as well so we have been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph executive produced by TennisBalls.com with a mascot which is Rio Rio with a Y a lovely dog go and check out his Instagram page and we will be back with more Tennis Podcasts in the weeks to come thanks for listening 